As cities go, Auckland is New Zealand's heavyweight, but despite its size, it has been punching below its potential, and over the last ten years has had a sluggish economic growth rate compared with overseas rivals. Todd Nile looks at Auckland's decade of trying to do better and asks, can the impending Auckland supercity structure make a difference? The moulding machines are running flat out here at Akron Plastics on Auckland's North Shore. At factories and workplaces across Auckland, people are working hard in the country's biggest regional economy. And size is largely why Auckland matters to the rest of the country. Few in the world have a single region which plays such a big role in the nation's economy. In Auckland's case, an international study three years ago found that businesses like this across Auckland earned 34% of New Zealand's wealth. And so when Auckland's economy is doing well, New Zealand benefits. The current thinking is that global economic competition is between cities or regions and not countries. And on that front, Auckland is not doing too well. Lined up against eight comparable cities, including Sydney, Singapore and Vancouver, Auckland's economic output per head of population has grown at the second slowest rate over the last decade. The debate about Auckland's economy fired up nearly a decade ago, when leading figures in business education and the not-for-profit sector got together and formed Competitive Auckland. Its work showed Auckland's economy was focused on serving itself rather than exporting. Only Auckland's growing population made its economic growth look almost acceptable by world standards. Competitive Auckland set a goal at lifting the region's economic output by 5% a year, targeting initiatives in six key industries. Let's fast forward to the present day. Essentially, we're talking about a decade later, and not a lot's happened. Business journalist Rod Oram has been close to the process all the way along. You know, each of the councils has its economic development agency. There have been various attempts to have some overarching coordination at the regional level, but those are very long and tedious discussions. Yes, there are some programs in place. Yes, there are some particular projects underway. And, and, and there's merit and worth in all of those. But this is way, way short of any kind of logical, coherent, regional-wide approach uh, with any kind of momentum or heft to it. Competitive Auckland, driven by a private sector can-do approach, covered a lot of ground quickly, pointing out where the economic potential lay, what the targets were, and a strategy to get there. It called for a focus on six industries with potential for high growth, tourism, food and beverage manufacturing, marine, information technology, biotechnology and education. But then it hit the implementation wall. Karen Goodall worked with Competitive Auckland. It is the inability, was the inability to, to make Auckland-wide decisions, the inability for Auckland to speak with one voice and therefore bring the investment that was needed either to transport or... It was very clear with the Exhibition Convention Centre we needed a better partnership with central government, otherwise you'll never build one of these facilities. So, yeah, speaking with one voice, working well with the government, and I think having a clear, agreed, ambitious, visionary plan, we didn't have one of those either. The coalition which had formed under the competitive Auckland banner fractured. Its former chairman was a past chief executive of Heinz Watties, David Irving. He moved on to try to make bigger changes on a smaller scale in competitive Auckland. 
we, we were giving so much attention to the big companies because they're the ones where you presumably feel you can get the impact. But in fact, the engine room of the economy is the SMEs in New Zealand, and we're a country of SMEs. And so the, the simple statement was, well, what do we need to do to lift the performance of the SME? David Irving and others, including the University of Auckland's Business School, formed the Ice House, a five-month part-time programme to help small and medium businesses lift their games. Mr Irving says the programme is making a difference. The change in earnings they attribute to the programme is 30% growth in earnings. Almost better than that is that they've got a better lifestyle. The Ice House is considered a great success, but pumping up 40 small businesses a year will not transform an economy. With the dissolving of Competitive Auckland, the continuation of its work was taken up by a body under the acronym AREDS. The regional council-managed Auckland Regional Economic Development Strategy was launched in 2002 with the lofty goal of elevating Auckland to global entrepreneurial city status. Most of its funding came from central government funds to support regional initiatives. Susan Macken took on the role of chief executive. I certainly thought it was going to be very difficult, but the challenge was um, worthwhile. As a passionate Aucklander, I was keen to be part of making something happen and give it my best shot. And I think um, it was the first time that tangible, practical regional initiatives had been attempted, and I was really quite keen to be part of that attempt. AREDS, the organisation, ran into familiar Auckland problems. Sandy Mayer had the job of chairing the AREDS implementation group. Well, there was a pre-arranged strategy that had already been concocted, which none of us had a part of. So that had its plus and minuses. There was quite a cumbersome governance structure in terms of a small operating team, our own board, and then an overview representative council. So there was pretty much a cast of thousands. The individual councils kept their own efforts going and had no particular reason other than philosophical good to participate, and the effort was only funded for two years. So by the time we sort of got organized, got everybody on board, got people on the bus, it was time to think about fundraising, which was not a very easy or popular activity. After four years, AREDS work was passed to the newly convened Metropolitan Auckland Project, a group intended to turn strategy into action under the banner of the Metro Plan. The Metro Plan's now overseen by the Auckland Regional Economic Development Forum, a committee of the Auckland Regional Council. It's a structure which has its critics. One of them was the Royal Commission, which proposed the blueprint for Auckland's latest local body restructuring. It reported that the underlying structural problems with local government continue to undermine a regional approach to economic development. The Commission found the Regional Economic Development Forum commendable, but lacking in teeth, the Metro Plan adhered to only voluntarily across the region and with no single body responsible for its implementation. As it stands now, the main agency is the Regional Council's own economic development unit, Auckland Plus, which has taken on some of the Metro Plan work. Its chief executive, Clyde Rogers, says in the agency's five years it can point to achievements such as advancing a tourism strategy and promoting investment and opportunities around the 2011 Rugby World Cup. That's one element of our work programme that I think has gone really well. We've also, if you think about the enterprise growth opportunities, we've been working closely with various sector groups such as the Marine Industry Association, food and beverage sector and also bioscience sector. So there's a range of programmes that are being rolled out since Auckland Plus was established. 
that I think reflects some of the good work we've been doing. But you don't need to scratch too deeply to see that Auckland's successes remain partial. Ah, Auckland, it's beautiful, isn't it? You'd think showing it off would be a dream job, and it is, except... The highly praised tourism strategy argued a case for funding of $5 million a year. Graham Osborne is the chief executive of the regional promotional agency Tourism Auckland. Total local government funding for Tourism Auckland is in the order of $3 million per annum currently, but the average over the last eight years would be closer to two. I think our issues with that are that, one, the various councils have not contributed equitably to the destination marketing effort. Two, that tourism is a key economic driver for the region. It contributes in the order of $3 billion per annum and supports more than 50,000 full-time jobs per annum. And so therefore we think that it's been a very difficult model with multiple masters and compromised resources to deliver anywhere near the outcomes that should have been delivered uh, for this Auckland region. The country's largest manufacturing sector, the marine industry with its high-profile superyacht business, has long been hailed as a success story. It's one of the industries which is seen as key to Auckland's growth. However, Peter Busfield, the executive director of the Marine Industry Association, is clear about where credit for the industry's growth lies. That has been due to the entrepreneurial ship, passion and good business skills of the individual business owners. Many of them have been very forthright in marketing to the world and that is why they have been successful. In relationship to the infrastructure in New Zealand and in Auckland to facilitate that growth, it would be best to say that uh, there's been no um, assistance in that regard to assist our companies at the coalface to date. We believe that with greater support uh, and actual tangible outcomes from central and local government, uh, we could have achieved a much increased turnover relating to more foreign exchange earnings, more jobs and more apprentices had we had infrastructure that we've been asking for for many years. The marine industry's gripe is over the long-running uncertainty over where it can base itself. A new home for large-scale manufacturing should become available soon at Harbour's Edge, Hobsonville, more than a decade after the idea was first floated. Peter Busfield says at the same time, local body planning for the urban redevelopment of the Wynyard Quarter near downtown Auckland left the future for existing businesses uncertain. The due process is still not finished and there is still not reliability that the proposed zoning for the marine industry will actually stand the environment court appeals which are going on at the moment. So there we have it again, over a 10-year period we still lack certainty that we can uh, build new buildings to build the new flash boats uh, in the Wynyard Point area. Again, due to uh, the consent process in New Zealand, it really has stifled uh, the manufacturing expansion in that area. While the enthusiasm for economic development initiatives has varied from council to council across the Auckland region, there are good stories to tell about public sector involvement. A land in turmoil cried out for a hero. In West Auckland, the filming of Jane Campion's The Piano drew international attention, and a filmmaking business built around the longer-running production of American television series such as Xena. A mighty princess forged in the heat of battle. When Xena ended, the Waitakere City Council seized the chance to help turn the former cool store which had been used as studios into a state-of-the-art film facility. John Wadsworth is the chief executive of the city's development agency, Waitakere Enterprise. 
Well, for a $3.6 million investment, over $1 billion worth of GDP have been generated by projects that have gone through Henderson Valley Studios over the last six years. The largest project that's been in there was Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. Um, that is a, had a New Zealand spend of $120 million US dollars and for the best part of a year employed between 750 and 900 people. The studio's been booked out by mostly foreign filmmakers since it opened, vindicating a move that some had criticised at the time for being risky and not what local bodies were about. Henderson Valley Studios was a clear example of where a property intervention of a key piece of industry infrastructure can return many times more than the investment made. That really encouraged council to take an interest in playing um, a long-term development role um, in the Hobsonville Marine Precinct. It's going to be um, the largest superyacht precinct in the world. The boat-building development uses Water's Edge land at the former Hobsonville Air Base, which the Waitakere City Council persuaded the previous government to develop as a planned township with marine industry. Marine and creative industries such as screen production have long been hailed as among Auckland's bright hopes, but neither are rolling in economic development clover. Film Auckland is the industry's regional promotion agency. Three years of central government funding which has underpinned its work has just run out. Its chief executive, Michael Brook, now has a new priority. Well, the challenge for us, uh, first and foremost, with that funding coming to an end, is securing more funding. We've had a lot of great support from Auckland City Council and Waitakere City Council. I do believe our local and regional funding needs to be more. We're a really important industry for the region. Uh, Post-production and production alone brings in over $800 million of revenue. I think it really needs to be stepped up, the local and regional funding. The film industry has great hopes for a simpler, more supportive filming and funding regime once Auckland's eight local bodies merge into the super city, providing it adopts the practices of the best of the current local bodies. It's initiatives such as that and more recent developments which give hope to those in the glass-half-full camp. One of the more upbeat views about how Auckland is faring comes from someone who has international experience connected to the development of cities and regions. I've been pleasantly surprised since I came back to Auckland just a couple of days ago of the the huge amount of progress that's actually been made. Greg Clark has studied and worked in metropolitan development worldwide and chairs the Forum on Development Agencies and Investment Strategies for the OECD. He was part of an international team invited to review and contribute to Auckland's efforts in 2006. Three years on, he's back to see what progress has been made. It may feel slow to people who are here, but I think the changes that are being put in place in Auckland are happening in record time. From uh, conversations in 2006 with many people through to a a royal commission, a change of government, the announcement of a plan and the, the first elections for the new Auckland Council to be next year, 2010. That's incredibly quick actually and those involved are to be congratulated for that. The creation next year of a super city council spanning the Auckland region is seen as the next big chance to make serious progress in boosting Auckland's economic development. It has its origins in that 2006 visit by international experts, including Greg Clark. That process identified governance as a major barrier in Auckland, 
and a deputation to the Beehive started the process which led to the Royal Commission and the super-city reforms. The single council will replace the eight current local bodies who regularly struggle to agree on big region-wide issues. The amalgamation also creates a regional economic development agency which will envelop the half-dozen smaller bodies currently operating. Some hope the supercity will enable a closer relationship with central government, which critics say has a piecemeal approach to Auckland. Karen Goodall is the executive director of the Committee for Auckland, a think tank similar to the earlier competitive Auckland, but which also focuses on making specific projects and initiatives happen. It produced a case arguing the importance to the government coffers of a prosperous Auckland. I think there's a real role for more leadership by central government in Auckland. And the reason I say that is because this is our globally competitive place, therefore that's a national interest. We are a major generator of both GDP and government revenues. There must be a strong interest by central government in making you know, the goose lay more golden eggs. The investments that are needed in Auckland are often national, like an exhibition convention centre is a New Zealand one, happens to be located in Auckland. So I think there's an absolutely legitimate role for the New Zealand government to take a very strong interest in Auckland. And we welcome them. The Minister for Economic Development, Jerry Brownlee, stops short of promising funding for the new regional development agency. But he says the government recognises Auckland's economic importance and that it's already doing its bit. We are investing heavily in the productive capacity of Auckland by bringing forward quite a bit of uh, expenditure on roading, transportation, being able to move around freely and easily is an extremely important uh, aspect of economic growth. Uh, we've also, of course, invested heavily in the stadium at uh, Eden Park with a focus towards the Rugby World Cup. And then, of course, you have the waterfront, which uh, I think is one of the great gems of not only Auckland, but also for New Zealand. And we've, uh, as a government, participated in the purchase of Queen's Wharf. Business journalist Rod Oram. There has been nothing from the government yet which it suggests it has any um, bigger idea about how to develop the economy other than to chip away at taxes and regulation and build some more infrastructure. The infrastructure is useful. It might make us slightly quicker, but it won't make us any smarter. Michael Barnett chairs the Auckland Regional Economic Development Forum. He thinks most of the work to be done by a new development agency should be funded from within Auckland and not by the government. It shouldn't need uh, bulk funding out of government unless there is uh, something for which there is going to be a, a greater national benefit and a Rugby World Cup is, is obviously that type of event. But when you have a look at the amount of money that other regions in New Zealand spend um, in promoting their regions per capita, Auckland is well behind the mark. And if we're going to lift our game, if we're going to be that world-class region that everybody speaks of, we're going to have to be prepared to invest in ourselves and invest in our region. The other important component of the super city model is the power given to its mayor. By New Zealand standards, the new mayor will be more of a driving force, with an office funded to the tune of several million dollars. The mayor can commission independent research and also appoint a deputy and influential committee chairs. But the powers of the Auckland mayor fall well short of those enjoyed and used successfully in cities such as London, which ten years ago underwent an amalgamation similar to Auckland's. 
it seems to me that the kind of tension that exists in, in uh, Auckland and, and more broadly in metropolitan areas in New Zealand has been resolved quite effectively in London by having a, a single mayor accountable with a single transport plan and uh, much greater uh, a degree of autonomy over what decisions he was able to make. New Zealander Kate Pender speaking from London, where she moved after working on the Auckland Economic Development Strategy and later for the Metropolitan Think Tank Committee for Auckland. She now has a senior role in the London Development Agency. The um, structure in London means that the mayor is able to appoint the boards of the constituent bodies of the Greater London Authority. So the mayor appoints the board of Transport for London, the board for the London Development Agency similarly has that kind of mayoral input and so forth. So the bodies that are given the statutory role for sorting out what decisions are taken in London has that overarching input from the Mayor. The Greater London Authority's inaugural Mayor, Ken Livingston, was able to make rapid use of his extensive powers, driving the overhaul of London's bus system in his first four-year term. In his second term, he introduced a congestion charge for driving in central London, which has succeeded in cutting traffic, boosting public transport use and raising revenue. London also secured the 2012 Olympic Games, something which it targeted as a catalyst for rejuvenating run-down areas east of the city. While Auckland's first super-mayor will be less powerful than London's, the personal qualities of that mayor are seen as crucial in deciding the urgency with which the region's economic performance will be tackled. Michael Barnett. We are going to need to have a, a change of culture happening from inside the new council that is going to look after Auckland, but leadership is going to be absolutely key. We can't have a future that's based on the failure of the past. Most agree that over the past decade, Auckland has at least done the groundwork for a tilt at economic transformation. Auckland has a strategy. For example, it knows what it needs to do to attract more visitors. It has a new brand. It has funding to explore the feasibility of a long-dreamed-of convention centre, which could generate an estimated $70 million a year. What a lot of people don't understand is it takes a lot more than putting aspirations on paper to, to make things happen. Ian Bromley has led economic development work in Toronto and most recently in Sheffield, England. He's part of the international team advising and monitoring work in Auckland. He sees Auckland now facing the tough part, making things happen. The nitty-gritty of actually delivering that, and you need, in order to deliver it, you need an agency, some kind of an organisation that has the resources, the backing, the support of the political and business leadership in the city to go out and deliver it. And I don't think, from what I can understand, that until now Auckland has had that delivery capacity to the extent that it needs it. The proposed Regional Economic Development Agency for Auckland may bring that capacity to make things happen in a way that's proved difficult in the past. But business journalist Rod Oram doubts that alone will be enough. He points to the Royal Commission's call for a new political culture and a new relationship between Auckland and the government through the now-rejected idea of a minister for Auckland and a special cabinet committee. Wellington's walked completely away from that. In, in fact, it would look as though the sort of agencies that we're going to get are just going to perpetuate um, those two camps of Wellington and Auckland. So at that level, I don't think it'll work. And it feels to me that what's being proposed for the new structure of governance in Auckland 
happened is essentially just a minor change to rearrange、um, existing structures that won't change that、um, political culture and therefore won't deliver that bigger progress we need on economic and social and infrastructure and all sorts of other issues. After spending a couple of frustrating years earlier in Auckland's economic development evolution, Sandy Mayer sees a chance in the new agency proposed as part of the super city structure. Just having a structure that cuts across the entire region will be a massive advance. If somebody clearly has a mandate, which could be formed out of the old strategy, saying these are the ideas, and we have a person, a team, funding for it over a multi-year period to go out and get it done, and let's get a business plan and and have a light、uh, governance structure, then I would think that it has every prospect of succeeding. So, what are the chances of Auckland finding its economic mojo, rolling out more productive businesses, and perhaps even reaching the elusive goal of five percent economic growth a year set nearly a decade ago? Rod Orham. I'm rather stuck on trying to figure out how Auckland will ever get over the hump, and the hump is this. The vast majority of businesses in Auckland are focused only on serving the Auckland market,、um, and that for them, an export is you know something over the Bombay Hills or something north of you know Rodney, and it's going to take a massive shift in the private sector's thinking to think of Auckland as a city that's engaged in global business. David Irving, the former competitive Auckland chairman and co-founder of the Ice House, being the person I am, it always can be done. It's just That, that what would it take, and、um, are we on track to do that? Well, we're certainly not on track with what competitive Auckland challenged us with back there in the year 2000. But the sort of mean income gap we've got with Australia is something like we're at about 33,000 or so, and they're at 45,000. And of course, while that gap exists, these young, inspiring young people are going to say to themselves, "Well, it was nice to get taught by the you know the Kiwis, but I think I'll go and earn some money in Australia." And so we have to create an attractive place to work and live, and、um, not just rely on our environment. And it has to be serve an economic need as well as a a really happy, nice place to live need. The Minister of Economic Development, Jerry Brownlee. Don't underestimate the power of local body amalgamation to set good ground for. Uh, a better picture for economic gro- economic growth. While the Auckland super city structures are still on the drawing board, work to deliver a brighter economic future continues. Michael Barnett's heading for Delhi this week to gauge international support for an Auckland bid for the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Big events to follow the Rugby World Cup are seen as vital to continuing the region's economic progress. The last word on the job ahead goes to international metropolitan specialist Greg Clark. The first thing we must be is confident that Auckland is already well aligned with many of the drivers of success for the future. What it hasn't had, I think, in the past period, has been unified and coherent government for the region, which is able not simply to provide. Public services, but is able to take a leading role, working with the private sector and the other institutions, and building a very collaborative approach with the central government to actually make investment in Auckland's long-term future a really key focus of activity and a key priority. And I think now is the time to begin a program of 
10 to 15 years investment which will see Auckland achieve the kinds of success that we've seen in cities like Barcelona and, and Singapore, Boston and Ottawa. Cities that have invested decisively over a decade and have achieved 25 years of progress as a result. And there's no reason why Auckland can't do that. That was International Metropolitan Specialist Greg Clark ending that insight written and presented by Todd Nile. It was produced by Sue Ingram.